Welcome back for another week of the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer, Joe, mate, likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter. That's at FansWorking. Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms, including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Guys, hi there. This is the Working Fans Podcast. We are Southeastern Connecticut's premier up-and-coming wrestling talk podcast. We are trying to evolve and bring you the best product every week so that you can listen to it, be involved in it, and be a part of what we're doing. We're going to be changing up some of our formats coming up, trying new things, seeing how they work, and we want your feedback. So please reach out to us on all of our major platforms. Let us know what we're doing, what you like, what you don't like, and give us that feedback. Dave, I don't know if you saw that Kenny Omega won the AAA Mega Championship this weekend. Yeah, I saw that, man. Super excited. I love they're doing this. It reminds me a lot of when WCW and New Japan had a thing going back in the days, and I saw the Steiner brothers show up with the IWGP tag belts. I always thought that was cool. I also like the fact that AEW isn't necessarily bringing a new title all the time, but rather using other companies' belts. So it's kind of nice. It puts people's championship and promotions over. And it's a good thing they're doing. Heroes and Mortalities is one of their bigger shows, and this is the 13th one. And I was wondering if the title would play out like it did in AEW, like the tag titles did, where it makes its way in and kind of shows up, you know, pushes forward the rivalry a little bit. Because it was about the same time last year that Phoenix and Omega had that match for Northeast Wrestling. A lot of my friends said that was the best match they ever saw. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, like I said, I really enjoy this. And it gives me nostalgia feelings of New Japan and the Steiner Brothers. And, you know, I'm excited to see where they go with this. AEW did mention it on their Instagram. So, and it was on Being the Elite this week as well. So I like to think that this is going to play on TV. Maybe this could even be a match at full gear. I don't know if either of them are already committed to something yet. I think Omega is booked with Moxley on that show now. All right, so yeah, this could be TV going forward. TV going forward, or maybe even a future show down the road. Now, speaking of TV, Uncharted Territory by Beyond on Independent Wrestling TV has... It's been amazing. I caught up with it again this week, because I had missed the week before. And Jay Freddy versus Brandon Thurston, a match I had bragged about. The feud is going forward. Now, on this show, it was Thurston versus Puff. Are you familiar with Puff at all? Very familiar with Puff. Big man, very unique look, very unique bumps. I, I enjoy Puff. I yeah. enjoy Puff around. Well, if Puff won this match, Freddie was going to get a rematch with Thurston. And the story going in was that Thurston had refused to train Puff when he came to Grapplers Anonymous in Buffalo, where Thurston trains. And during the match, Thurston had beat Puff and then cut a promo telling Freddie to meet him in the ring next week. Now, Freddie, I was bragging last week how he was kind of a 
modern day Benoit. Have, have you seen much of him at all? I've seen Freddie a few times. I want to say I saw him team with uh, Rory Gulak before. I don't quite remember the event. He's a talent. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's standout, and I think he could be the next, you know, upper level of indie, indie talent out there. Now, news broke to, in the last couple days that New Japan has announced a U.S.-based promotion. Have you heard anything about I this? I did not hear about this. Oh, wow. So I read about it on Pro Wrestling Sheet, and it starts it's supposed to start roughly next month. Wow. And it's hoping to gain more of a U.S. foothold by increasing their live events. And they picked five markets. They had a little map of it. And the five areas are west, mid, southeast, east, and Texas. Now in the west, they're looking at six cities across four states. In the midwest, seven cities across six states, making up the big middle of the country. Southeast, six cities across four states. In the east, four cities across three states. Texas, going to be four cities. What do you think about that? That's almost kind of about where they ran shows in the U.S. just yeah, recently. Yeah, it sounds very strategic on their part. Like, they are slowly but surely trying to break into the U.S. market more consistently. Um, it sounds like they have a plan. Let's put it that way. Now... This is actually phase three of their plan. The right. first one was, I believe, the dojo... And then uh, finding talent. You know, I went to one of their shows up in Lowell, Mass a couple months ago, about a month ago. And, you know, it wasn't a huge crowd, but it was a decent crowd. But what I will say about this, what I noticed with any of their shows, they have a very passionate following in the U.S. Like the people that show up to see these events are super excited. Now, will they show up as much with the talent they have? I don't know if Japanese talent's coming over. These tours will occur between Japanese tours. So I figure maybe they'll have like Los Ingobernables come over. Maybe Okada. I'm not exactly sure yet. The business apparently, this, this promotion is going to be run out of the LA Dojo business-wise. And the company is apparently, they plan to continue their relationship with Access TV. Well, that's great. And, you know, I like the fact that they're going to continue to receive on Access TV because with Access TV, with Impact now being there and Women of Wrestling, like, that's nice that Access could be, like, a home for wrestling. Yeah. And that's exciting because, like, I mean, oh, my God, we got wrestling on Fox, USA, and TNT right now. Every night of the week, too. It's crazy. You know, it's a good time to be a wrestling fan. We beat that. Over the head lately, I feel like it seems like everybody says it, but it's so true. There's so much variety, so much different stuff. I do worry about oversaturation, but I think that's the world we live in now, where people are just going to like have to choose no matter what. Choose yeah. something, whatever you like, watch that. If it fits in your schedule, cool. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Of all the choices that are out there, how do you choose what to watch? You know, it's interesting. WWE, for a long time, was kind of like all we really had for a little while. And that's what I watched out of Force of Habit. And in the last few years, it got kind of a pain to watch them. And, you know, I find myself fast-forwarding through more stuff because life just gets busy. And now, all of a sudden, like... Well, actually, no. Not all of a sudden. I will say, in along that time, though, NXT started becoming, like, this cool alternative you could watch. And that was easily accessible, having a network. So that became my show to watch. And then, I want to say a few people started talking to me about MLW. 
And I tuned into that, and that caught my eye. I'd watch that on YouTube all the time. And then slowly, AEW. Now, all these guys, and now AEW, I was excited about because I was hoping they were going to go up against Raw and, or SmackDown. And I was like, this will be different. Now, they went up, now they're going against NXT, which kind of breaks my heart a little bit because I love them both. But again, in this era, I can watch both. So I do. I seek them both out. I enjoy them. Honestly, if we weren't doing this podcast, I would say it'd be more challenging for me to start watching SmackDown and Raw. Maybe because I'm a hardcore pro wrestling fan, I would probably still fast forward through a lot of Raw and SmackDown. But AEW, NXT, and MLW, for whatever reason, for me, it fits comfortably. And I like to just watch those shows for the most part without even fast forwarding. Now, what do you watch live? What do you watch at a later time? Well, MLW doesn't come on live on when my cable system set up. So I have to watch them on YouTube usually yeah. the day after. So do you watch it the day it premieres on YouTube, usually yeah. on Monday? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And usually, the last couple of weeks, I've actually been watching both NXT and AEW at the same time. You've definitely talked about doing that before. I tend to watch AEW, and then I catch up on NXT whenever I can. I'm usually home on Monday nights, so I'll be playing Madden or some game on the PlayStation and I'll set up Raw on the tablet for however long. Usually, some segments are good. Last week kind of really intrigued me with Rollins saying he was going to hunt down Wyatt. I had a feeling it would end with him finding the Firefly Funhouse. I didn't expect to see what I did. Yeah, some people thought that was a double turn. I don't know if that's a double turn or if WWE is just, unfortunately, doesn't really know how to book a lot of their characters at times. There definitely seems like a huge disconnect with booking babyfaces, at least for my liking. You know, Perfect World, ah, man, the feed is just so over. It's like, you know, I talk about how Raw and SmackDown have become tough to watch. But you know what wasn't tough to watch? Bray Wyatt, The Fun House, and The Feed. That was, despite the fact I love AEW and NXT more, that character was the most, like, over character for me. And it's starting to take over a little more. You see him more and more. Now, where do you see that angle going this week? You know, it's uh, tough to say. I think what they're going to probably do is The Fiend will get some kind of revenge. And that's going to lead us to... That Crown Jewel event? Crown Jewel event, yes. And I think, uh, unfortunately, my gut tells me the WWE... Well, the WWE is going to do something like... They've already booked a stipulation. I don't know if you've seen this. It's a Falls Count Anywhere match where they literally said... Nothing can stop the match. It's kind of a throwback. They're like, we fucked up with the hell in a cell. Yeah. And that's not going to happen this time. Yeah. Well, guess what? If somebody got seriously injured in that match for real, they're going to probably have to stop the match. So whatever. It's a dumb stipulation. I don't know. It's in Saudi Arabia. Who, right? Yeah, it is. I, I, at the end of the day, though, I feel like they're going to book Seth Rollins over. What I wish they had done, there was somebody who stepped into the heel. I wish they almost freaking started an angle where somebody beat up Rollins and got the belt off him. Maybe a Randy Orton or somebody. And they ran rough shot, cut a promo, and at the end of the show, Bray Wyatt came out to go after them. Because I think the crowd would go nuts at Bray Wyatt going after, you know, a heel Orton or whatever heel character. Because I think the feed is just that over. Now what they can do still to make me happy in this situation is put the feed over. He's going to SmackDown. And have him defend the belts on both shows. You know, just say because he's the one guy, because he won the belt, he still has to be on Raw. 
And I would have no problem with that, considering Brock is used in limited doses on SmackDown anyway. And then, you know, at some point, The Fiend will drop the belt to whoever. But I just think, man, you've got to keep the momentum going with this guy. Now, WWE 2K20 comes out tomorrow. And one of the pre-order things was The Fiend is a character. That might be the soonest I've seen something on TV end up in a video game. Usually, if it's a character debuting now, it'll be in the next year's game. So they're really striking while the iron's hot with this one. Which maybe tells you there's a chance that they see how big this guy is. And maybe they will capitalize on it. But... Boy, that just not has, has not been their M.O. lately. No. Now, last night, Impact had their big Bound for Glory event. And some of the news coming out of it was that Joey Ryan signed with Impact. Yes. It's a multi-year deal. And he said the deal made sense because, I mean, he said Impact's had the most consistent program for the last two years. If I got hired, I would probably say the same thing. Sure. Uh, I've enjoyed their TV. I wouldn't say it's been necessarily consistent. No. But they've had some high-level talent. Yeah, and I think there was one other thing he said in there. He gets to keep all his indie dates, too. He does, and he gets to be him. Right. And this was... This was of note because he didn't sign with AEW because it would have taken him off the indies. This is probably the first person that we've heard of that's chosen not to sign with AEW. Right, and I think there's a little more to that, too. Uh, Or Kylie Ray too. Well, Kylie Ray was there. We don't know what happened with that still. But with uh, Ryan, I know that Tony Khan actually said at a press conference, he was very civil and very polite about it. He said he loves Joey Ryan. But at the all-in event, he was actually not a big fan of the penis druids. Not his style. And I just got to imagine that Joey Ryan's character doesn't fit in well on a TNT, you know, where they've had problems in the past with standards and practices. Uh, I just don't see that character being a good fit for them. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes with Impact. He fit in good last night in the match he was in, that uh, gauntlet. And, hey, he's an older wrestler. Not in a bad way, but, I mean, it's good to see him be able to settle down and get steady money somewhere. Yeah, no, this is a good fit for him. I'm actually happy to see Joey uh, do this. I don't know if Impact's been the most consistent program in the last two years either, but it's been solid, it's been good, and I think this is a good fit for Joey. And I think he's, for all the reasons he said, he's going to still be able to make money on the indies, and he can be his character still. Yeah. No, he's not going to get to do that in WWE or AEW. No. So. Now, was there anything this week that caught your eye? One of the things that caught my eye was, it's kind of funny. We were watching, I, I, I was sick this week, you can probably hear it in my voice this week. But I was watching AEW, and I watched it a day late this week. And I was watching Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy against the Lucha Bros. And I thought to myself, wow, great match, really enjoyed this. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of Marco. It's nothing against him. I just like my guys a little more believable. Marco's definitely not that, but it's not, a, you know, I, I I like the way they use him. And also, like, I don't mind it as much because Marco does a lot of hurricanranas and a lot of flying things. And I think it almost kind of works. I was going to say, anybody that bumped for him, there was a setup. Like, he got yeah. thrown into a hurricanrana. Right. Uh, but, but when I, when I, Jim Cornette went on this awful rant against this poor kid. And, you know, I kind of got me thinking, though, like, you know, everybody always talks about how, like, uh, the small men have come up in wrestling now. And it's like, you know, now we have all these smaller guys in there. And that it's a more athletic-based product. And that we got guys like, you know, 
People like Rey Mysterio, who set the tone for that. Even before that, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Chris Jericho, you know. But I kind of wonder, too, where did all the big men go? Like, why is there not as many big men? It's not just because, like, we want to see smaller guys go. It's just because as many big men are entering professional wrestling as much. And I kind of have a couple theories. One, well, we drug test a lot more, at least in the WWE. So that could be something. Two, if you go back to the old days, guys like Wahoo McDaniel, Dusty Rhodes, a lot of them came from like football backgrounds and stuff like that. And then they jumped in pro wrestling. Well, you know, with guys like Mig and the Road Warriors and Rick Rude and Steve Doctor, all these legit tough guys, like if they were playing football, you know, they weren't going to be boxers. So I guess you had to go to pro wrestling. One thing I thought about was MMA wasn't around back then. Somewhere around the early 90s, mid-90s, the UFC became a thing. And it seems like, I wonder if that kind of takes away some of the talent pool a little bit. Could be that. Yeah. Could also be maybe concussions on the rise, keep some guys out of it. Wrestling's become a lot more accessible over the years. Sure. So you don't have as many discerning people just taking the big guys in. Right. That's, that's a good point, too. And at the end of the day, too, how many guys legit just walk around looking like that, too? Yeah. You know? And with all these smaller guys who want to wrestle and can wrestle. But yeah, sometimes it's hard to believe Marco when you see him in the ring. Right. You know, depending on the opponent. But in moderation, I don't mind it. And at the end of the day, I do find myself rooting for him at times. So he's doing a good job getting his character over. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, here we are again. It's the Working Fans Podcast. We are about to talk some wrestling. Let's get it on. It's myself, AJ, and as always, the Working Fan. All right. So, time is recording. We're a couple days out from Halloween. And it got me thinking about Halloween Havoc, one of my favorite old school pay-per-views. And I was going to ask you about this. I realized this card was headlined by Terry Funk and the Great Muda versus Ric Flair and Sting. And I thought to myself, although those guys are all really great and I'm sure they tore the house down, it was a tag match. And we don't have a lot of tag main events on major pay-per-views anymore. No, we don't. And that made me think about enhancement talent and stuff like that, too. We don't have a lot of those matches anymore. No, we don't. Did we get spoiled at some point? Yes, we did. Yeah. I believe the Attitude Era, unfortunately, one of the things that they're missing out on right now is the fact that they took away our ability to build acts, to build wrestlers. And one of the ways they did that was by giving us almost every match meaning something and being a main event compared to the old days when we were lucky enough to have some enhancement talent along the way who could make these wrestlers look bigger and better than they actually were. And it gave the wrestlers a chance to work in front of an audience, building them up and getting them ready for when they did have the big match. To me, there's nothing better better than a build a slow burn and i don't know if uh i don't even know if that would translate as well in today's market you know this era too that we live in i don't know if we could talk to like younger fans in particular and go hey you want to wait four months for this match just to build like these guys are not even going to touch each other and it's going to come in this giant pay-per-view but in four months it's four months coming down the road here i i think it could still work I know they have the short attention spans, but I think that if you kept two people away from each other, especially in the WWE, where now you have two very separate, very decisive shows, 
if you had people bantering back and forth, one from Raw, one from SmackDown, right? We can't get our hands on each other. These two products are only going to touch so often. You could build a storyline where you could build up enough passion and hatred to make people want to tune into that fight. Sure, sure. Now, can yeah. the WWE do that? Absolutely not. You don't have any trust in their booking ability. Not even a bit. Right, right. Yeah, I mean that's what's kind of interesting to me. Another thing I want to talk to you about this week. I'd address this with Joe, too. Marco Stunt. Nice guy. Uses a lot of aerial maneuvers. Cornette rent, went on a horrible rant about this poor kid this week. But uh, you're like me. You like your wrestling a little more legitimate. You're even more than me. Like, I'm a fan of, like, Mysterio and some of the Lucha stuff. You're not as big a fan of that. That being said, Marco's not even looking legitimate compared to, like, a guy with Ray. And that doesn't mean the guy can't work or have a match. But given his size and stature and his style of wrestling you like, what are some of your opinions on that? We're not we're not insulting the person. I want to make that clear. We're not insulting the person. No, Marco Stunt has a right to apply his trade, as does every other uh, mini luchador. <laughs> I think that uh, when his wrestling is not horrible. It's just unbelievable. Right. He gets in there and almost everything is a Three Stooges fest when he gets into the match because they have to do such ridiculous things to make it believable. And I'm not, Martin, like you said, I'm not knocking him as a person. Right. I'm sure he's a very nice kid, and when he gets back to his freshman year, he's going to do wonderful in high school. Now, let me ask you that, though. Now, is that part of his, is it part of the problem his character? Because Darby Allen's a real small kid, too. But because of his character, and I'm not saying he's as small as Marco, but he's certainly smaller than some of the luchadors. Well, well here's the other problem. Not only are you taking this person who's small, yeah. his tag team partner is small. Well, not compared to him. <laughs> Jungle Boy is tiny. Yeah, well. And now you're taking Marco Stunt, who's even smaller, and you're making them into a team. And then you put him next to Luchasaurus, who's a giant, and they look literally like his children. Again, I wanted to bring this up here. Like Darby Allen is a guy who's a little shorter, but you like Darby. Is it part of that his character? The way Darby portrays himself as opposed to Marco Stunt, who they kind of portray like a child. To a certain well, point. here's also the thing about Marco Stunt. So far in his matches, he really hasn't been bumping. How many really tremendous bumps have you actually seen him take? People are taking care of him. They're, they're, not, they're going out of their way not to hurt him. Now, what do they do with Darby Allen? Darby Allen, they beat the living shit out of him in every goddamn match. He goes in there, takes a beating for 20 minutes, and then comes back, and the way they've built him up is surviving these beatings. Marco Stunt, they're literally treating like he's a child. So to you, for you, Darby's character, and, then, and that probably does have a lot to do with the person too, but it, it's betraying him as a tougher individual. It makes you a little more believable. And that's exactly what it is. It's all in how you book someone. Okay. Look, it's... Perception is reality. We've talked about this on other sure. shows. You have some wrestlers out there who might be tough as nails or might not be tough as nails, but we don't know because of the way they're being perceived. Right. Braun Strowman is perceived as a giant and sure. as a tough guy, and people are believing the fight that he might have against um, this professional boxer. Tyson Fury. Because of the way he's actually been booked. But me and, I, me and you both know that this was a legit shoot fight. Tyson Fury's Fury probably going to knock him out. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you're that close in size and one's a professionally trained boxer. And one's got no combat sports training. I mean, I'm, s- I'm six foot three, I'm 280 pounds. Sure. If I get into a fight with a legitimate boxer who's 5'10 and 200 pounds of muscle, guess what? I'm going to get my ass kicked. Yeah. And it's not because I don't know how to fight, he's it's a because trained. he's a trained professional fighter. Yeah. 
There's a big difference in how people don't get, especially you, know, you get some of the armchair quarterbacks at these bars. I've been to UFC cards, and they'll say oh, things God. like, "Why don't they? Why don't they keep going?" You know, like, why, why is he stopping? It's like, well, probably because he doesn't want to get hit, motherfucker. Like, that's not how this works. Like, he's just not, you know, they're not running in there just throwing reckless punches. You might do that. You have you have guys that are legitimate badasses out there in wrestling that have really great backgrounds. You've got, obviously, your Brock Lesnar's, your Matt Riddles. you got Big Bacon, Brad Hollister, who's got a tremendous amateur background. Reminds me of one of the Steiner brothers almost back in the heyday. Oh, absolutely. Like he throws him around. I like oh, that. God, I love the way he throws somebody. We saw the stadium show at um, Dodd Stadium, not last year, but the year before. Brad, uh, was, Matt Riddle. Exactly, yeah. Matt Riddle versus Brad Hollister. Super impressive. And if you're looking for a match where people were sitting there going, this is fucking legit. These two guys are beating the shit out of each other. That was the match you wanted to see. And so to bring it back full circle, because that's what I'm a fan of, I'm never going to get behind Marco Stunt. Does that mean I don't wish him the best? Sure. I Absolutely I wish right, him the right, best. I get it. And I'm not going to go off on him like Cornette, Cornette did, yeah. but do I think there's a place for him in wrestling? Sure. Yeah. Do I think that the place Maybe for Maybe not him, your wrestling. Yeah. Do I think that there's a place for him... Um, at the level that he's at right now, mm. I don't think so. I don't think that's where he's at. Now, that got me thinking. And I, again, this is something I talked to Joe with a little about, too. Big men in wrestling doesn't seem like it's as prominent anymore, too. Now, obviously, small guys have, you know, the thing. And most smaller men can work. And it's exciting. And that's part of it. But do you think, I mean, back in the day, a lot of football players would end up being pro wrestlers. You know, now I see a lot of MMA guys going to pro wrestling. But I saw this video online the other day that reminded me I forgot about where Undertaker was asked in an interview if he had done if he would have done MMA back in the day, and he said safe bet. Well, there is MMA around now too, and do you think that that takes away from some of the big men in pro wrestling? Maybe not a huge factor, but is it is it taken away from some of the scope? Now wait a minute, you say that, but I just saw a match on NXT this week where two big men had maybe the match of the night with Keith Lee and Dijakovic there. Okay. And, and now, I'm not saying they're in the majority now, but I think one of the problems also is, what are the feeding grounds right now for professional wrestling? The feeding grounds right now are a tremendous independent wrestling that we have going on right now. True. And if I go to a show and I go to an independent show, I'm a giant on those shows. Yeah. Whereas back in the day when I started wrestling, if I went to those shows... I was middle of the road. Right. And that's that says something about the size difference. I will say this, too. Uh, I think Scott Hall had said something about being down at NXT, working with these guys now that are a little bigger, and teaching them how to work like big men. And maybe that's the thing now that NXT they're finally getting around to, but maybe that's not so prominent in a lot of other areas, Well, too. I think that's also a bit of an illusion, is that we think that people aren't quite as big. When you look at the way these guys work, like right. Scott Hall said... I think we have a tendency of thinking of them not as big as they do. Look at the guys who were big that we remember who we never actually thought of them as big because of how well they worked. Billy Gunn could throw a drop kick and could work his ass off in the ring. Right. And because of that, we never thought of him as that big. Billy Gunn's two inches, three inches taller than I am. Yeah. And, and he's built. Too. And he's built. So you're talking about a guy who is a legitimate large human being who we just never thought of that way. And I think part of it now, look at Randy Orton. Randy Orton's not a little guy. True. Uh, so you yeah. have people who can really work out there. There are a lot of bigger guys still in WWE 
I'm on the indies as much. But I think in the indies you can't really have those bigger guys because Vince, if you're a bigger guy and you work well, that's true. Vince is going to throw money at you and you're going to be sucked up. Although MLW has David Boy Smith Jr. and Jacob Fatu. But similar. but once again, during guys, a contract, once yeah, yeah. Well, David Boy also worked for the WWE and they yeah. didn't know what the fuck to do with him. Right, right. That's uh, that's why he ended up going over to Japan, working in Japan, which was probably the best thing for him. Well, uh, same thing with Lance Archer. Yeah. Lance Archer ended up working in Japan, big guy. He's over there winning championship after championship because they know what to do with a guy that's big and can work. Now, as far as North America goes, let's go with that for a second. Who do you see as one of the next big stars potentially in WWE or AEW? Wow. Someone who's not signed. You know, maybe. Well, you know, I already mentioned Brad Hollister. Obviously, I, I'm a big fan of his. I think that once the knee gets healed, he's a person who can go anywhere because of his size and because of his ability. But to me, there are two guys right now that are not in either one of those that should be and deserve it. And I don't know if they're going to get the chance. Uh, Matt Cross is a little bit closer to my age. Yeah. And uh, it's a shame because you talk about a guy who deserves a national spotlight or even a na- uh, international spotlight. Matt Cross is as good as anybody out there. Right. The other one, quite frankly, is JT Dunn. Yeah, he's got a lot of skills. Uh, so you're talking about a skill set unlike anybody else's. And those three guys, if you go to any independent show in the country and you see their names at the top of the marquee working together or working with other people, you know you're going to get a hell of a show. Now, Doug is working with Impact now. And it's just a question. Hopefully, maybe Impact can take off. We don't know. know. It's a survivor. Yeah, and it is. It's good to see him getting that opportunity. We're talking about... Yeah, national. But once again, how how national is impact? Right. We, yeah, exactly. Right. That's, that's Even the, when it gets on access, it's not like everybody has access. And I'm not trying to knock impact. As you know, I watch, no, you're a fan. I, I watch impact every week. I've been to live shows for impact. I absolutely love impact. But to put them on the same level as AEW or WWE to me would be delusional. Like I said, we're taping around Halloween. Made me think of L.A. Park. L.A. Park, yeah. He's going to be wrestling for the MLW. Jacob Fat too, yeah. What do you think about this career resurgence? I mean, he has a different look now. He got a big belly, as Dusty Rhodes would say. Well, listen, but he's bad, and you know it. Well, first of all, the original chairman of WCW, yeah. L.A. Park. This is a guy who's reinvented himself. He's taken the time to actually create something that's relevant to a whole other crowd who wouldn't have known who he was. Half these kids that are cheering for him now down in MLW weren't alive when he actually was wrestling in WCW and wouldn't know that. Right. So for him to reinvent himself and make himself relevant to a whole other generation of wrestlers and not just luchadors. We're not talking about like he went down to Mexico and reinvented himself in his home country. Yeah, he's everywhere. And you're talking about a guy who has L.A. Park now is relevant everywhere. And he's really been so busy as a badass. And to be honest with you, to me, MLW has passed impact. You, oh, have, you have, to me, the order of major organizations are still obviously WWE and all their NXTs. Yeah, AEW, then MLW, then Impact, and then probably Ring of Honor. Even Ring of Honor is being chased a little bit. I um, feel that, quite frankly, L.A. Park should get the belt put on him. I mean, that's interesting. I'm not going to go with that. I like Jacob too, but I, I think definitely uh, L.A. Park, it, it should be a good match, and I'm my, excited that he's in this match. My picture. reason for wanting to put the belt on L.A. Park, and I'll be honest with you, is that I feel as a champion, yeah. with him the way he is right now, you will have so many people, including Jacob too, where it would be awesome to watch them chase him. 
it is interesting, and there's a lot of Spanish community in the Chicago crowds, and he's super over. And oh, they're yeah. going to be in Chicago for this pay-per-view, too. But he's so. definitely not supernova. <laughs> he's not. He's not supernova. All right, let's finish this up. NXT versus AEW. Each week, I've been watching both at the same time because I just have not wanted to pick a winner. And at the end of the day, I think you've made a choice. You're picking AEW. <laughs> I, I am a bigger fan of AEW at this point than I am NXT. It's well, let me ask you that, though. Well, let me ask you a couple things first. Let's start off with this. Do you feel that NXT is unfortunately <laughs> a lot of fans, the people, a lot of people who are fans of NXT that are now, because NXT is against AEW, have kind of turned on NXT a little bit? Not to the point like, oh, I hate NXT, but like, we're going to watch AEW. Because that's WWE. Well, I was going to say, I'm going to be honest with you. I think some of the biasness does come from the fact that NXT is linked to WWE. Right. I think if NXT is a separate product and a separate entity all its own. Right. I think that you would get more people. But there's been a drop-off on NXT. There has. And to me, I think part of the problem is... Is that while their main matches are as good as AEW's, that they're lacking some of that in-between matches. Well, you know, I'm going to say, I see what you're saying, but I kind of like the way it's, to me, it's like, NXT's giving me a little more what I want in terms of building up something. Now, there's a few more, there's going to be an enhancement match here and there. We're not seeing an AEW. But then again, if you're going to open the show, we both agree maybe enhancement matches aren't a bad thing sometimes, once in a while. No, and it's not, but the difference but is... But that does, it's not easy to draw your attention, to be fair, too. But the difference is also, NXT, once again, you're talking about storylines that people already had in a time period. Right. Most of the people that are tuning into NXT already have the WWE Network. And they are aware of what NXT is, what the storylines have been. The people who are tuning into AEW every week, uh, we're doing the Road 2 stories on YouTube and stuff like that, and you're not talking about actual storylines. Right. So, so over a three-week course so far, they've had to literally build from scratch storylines that matter. Yeah, I would agree with that. AEW is in a little more position where they have to kind of like, they have to play catch-up a little bit. Yeah, it's very hard to actually go out there and build up a product without putting on spectacular wrestling. Let me, let me put it to you like this, too. One of the reasons why I've chose kind of lean towards NXT a little bit on a personal note is I kind of feel for them. To me, they're kind of the underdog in this situation. Even though they have a WWE link to them, the WWE isn't the underdog. But NXT is the underdog, all right? Hear me out. Because people have sort of... Of that fan base, we're going with AEW. We're not going with NXT because NXT is linked to WWE. Now, if this was AEW versus Raw, I'd pick AEW all day long. I love Cody versus Dustin. It was one of my favorite matches in the last 10 years. But, man, my boys at NXT, I love They've been so good to me. They were my one bright spot. I feel like I'm turning my back on them. Okay, first of all, your one bright spot was 205 Live. Fuck 205 Live. <laughs> oh, no, you know what? Uh, That's not fair. You did enjoy 205 Live. Here's the thing about 205 Live. I, I've been saying this for a while. Them being on NXT now, well, having a Cruiserweight match, is going to be better, well-received. And it has been so far. Fair? Uh, yeah, and I'm hoping with the draft that we see more Buddy Murphy. Although, I will say this. I'm pretty sure... You wouldn't have put Leo Rush over Drew Gulak if I know. I would never put Leo Rush over anyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's the to me, Leo Rush is what's wrong with this business. Okay, it's okay, all, okay. It's so all, this, now we're going back to the smaller guys. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not even <laughs> knocking him for his size. Yeah. Leo Rush is a great worker, but yeah. he, he comes across from everything that I've seen as very me oriented and <laughs> not about the team. Well, we'll see. You know, he's been away for a while. He's come back, and hopefully... Uh, I like yeah. to think that what they're doing right now with Bobby and Lana 
was actually going to be Bobby and Leo actually eating in the restaurant, hanging out. Yeah, sure. But when it comes to NXT versus AEW, thus far, I just think AEW has done a great job. A, with Jack Swagger, or Jack Hagar. Jack Hagar. Hager, yeah, I mean, that's a guy WWE kind of fucked up, and they're kind of like rebuilding, I would say. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. WWE screwed up tremendously with him. Yeah. Between him and, quite frankly, Drew um, McIntyre, I think, are two of their biggest screw-ups in the last 10 years. They could have made both of them into monsters. Hell, WWE could have made Drew McIntyre into a monster just within the last year. They still got a shot. He just came back last night. He wanted to look good. When he first came up and was doing what he was doing, they could have made him into a monster heel. And the WWE completely dropped the ball on him. He could have been already in the world title picture. Exactly. That's the only bigger screw-up I've seen is what they've done with the most talented person on their whole roster, Bray Wyatt. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say Cesaro, actually. Oh, God, don't even get me going on Cesaro. (laughs) Holy shit. The only reason I don't mention Cesaro is because the WWE, I don't think, knows he's under contract anymore. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, you have the Swiss Cyborg, the guy who literally can have a match with a freaking potted plant and make it look good. He's the guy, actually, I hope goes to NXT. Oh, oh please send him to NXT. Yeah, yeah, yeah If yeah. anything, let him and Mike Bennett go so they can go somewhere and actually wrestle. Yeah, yeah. I, now I'm just talking about things that piss me off, though. <laughs> if we're going to do that, oh my god, this is going to take a while. Alright, I think on that note... We're going to wrap this up. Thank you very much, as always, for tuning in. You can find us on all the major platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on YouTube. Subscribe. Hit that button. uh, Give us a five-star review. We really need it. It makes all the difference in the world. We're just three fans trying to get it done at the end of the day. I wrestled. Dave's always been a fan. And we got producer Joe. And between the three of us, it's a labor of love. And every review really helps us out. So thank you very much for that. Please tune in next week. We'll be back with a whole new podcast. We really appreciate it. Hit us up on Twitter. And thank you very much. Guys, today we were lucky enough to have the tremendous interview that we're going to be sharing with you. It's an interview with the one and only Bob Cook. This gentleman is a pro wrestler's pro wrestler. And he has helped to make so many great wrestlers have awesome matches going above and beyond. Please check out this interview and enjoy it as much as we did. This is a real conversation with a real man about the real life of a wrestler, where he came from, and different time periods, and even his reflections on today's product. So please, guys, enjoy this interview as much as we did. My name's AJ. Um, Dave is the other person who's going to be interviewing you. Yeah, Bob, big fans, man. We used to watch you on WCW Saturday night all the time. I apologize for that. No. no. <laughs> I actually got to see you all the way back to Florida Championship Wrestling. That's oh, <laughs> <laughs> You're one of those guys. Did I help you with your insomnia? Um, actually, a <laughs> uh, funny story is I wrestled. I worked. I was trained by Adrian Street years ago. And when I was learning how to throw a working punch... You're actually one of the first people that I thought of, and it was tapes of you, believe it or not, that helped me learn how to throw my right hand. So thank you for that. Well, at least they serve some kind of purpose. No, <laughs> 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 no, nah, you're, you're a great help for us. But um, so one of the things we wanted to talk to you about was your upbringing, coming from Michigan to Florida, and how you got into the wrestling business to begin with. That's fine. So what brought you down that path? I know you trained with Boris Malenko. How did you find his school coming down from Michigan? I just got lucky. I came out of the Fort Homer Hesterly Armory in Tampa where they held wrestling every Tuesday night for like 40 years. And there was a flyer on my car that said, become a pro wrestler. 
become a TV star, make big money, travel the world. Well, part of that was right. <laughs> yeah. I still have the flyer. Oh, that's incredible. They do make it sound easy, don't they? Yeah, well, yeah, that wasn't true. But. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I, I think if I took all the money that I made from wrestling, I might be able to go get myself probably a hotel room somewhere for a few hours. Well, I made a little bit more than that. I could have at least got a hotel for a week. <laughs> there you go. So, like I said, I saw you first in Florida Championship Wrestling. I was lucky enough to get to see you working down there, working with people like Dusty Rhodes and stuff of that nature in the early 80s and Kevin Sullivan. That was one of my favorite times in Florida Championship Wrestling. What was it like working for somebody like Eddie Graham? I know everybody just always talks about his genius. Did you enjoy working in Florida in that time period? I actually didn't work there when Eddie was alive. I started about a year after he uh, said, this is a gun, that's a bullet, hand it over. Wow. Uh, oh, wow. No so, kidding. But so, I worked with his son a lot of times. He was awesome, so I would imagine Eddie was similar. Yeah, it's a little sad. Mike ended up going, unfortunately, down the same path later in life. So did Mike, yeah. Mike's son, so it's kind really? of... Really? Oh, Christ. Talk about a family business. Huh. And, they, and they say the Von Erichs were cursed. Yeah, Oh, my shit. God, Jesus. Wow. Who were some of your favorite people to wrestle with in that time period? Uh, believe it or not, it was the, the, the lower echelon guys, kind of like, like in my spot, Mark Starr, who was trained by the great Malenko as well, had a lot of great matches with him, or at least from my perspective, because yeah. I never got hurt. If, if I didn't get hurt, that was pretty good, even if the match sucked, you know? Uh, working with Mike Graham and Steve Curran was a, a learning experience every night, nothing but fun. Bugsy McGraw, Kevin Sullivan, all those guys were fun to work with. Yeah, Bugsy McGraw was such a great personality. I, I worked with him on a lot of indie shows, too, over the years, and it was just always a blast. Even at some main events, can you believe it? Bob, I'm just curious. Was it Malenko who taught you the right hand, or was there a particular wrestler who really helped you with that? I just learned on my own. I mean, Malenko would show you how to do certain things, and you would do like you said. You watched me. I That's one of my models, if you want to call it. Watch, copy, perfect. Watch other people to do things good, copy how they do it, and perfect it as your own. And whether you're not, whether you can actually do that or not is another thing, but you actually have to know what looks good and what looks bad. A lot of people will say, well, the Big Show had a great-looking punch, and say, yeah, okay. Whatever. <laughs> so you have to actually be able to tell the difference between what really looks good and what, like Cain Velez last night, those punches he threw, oh my God. if you want to put a big pile of crap on them. Right, right, right. Actually, we were just talking about that. And I agree with what you were saying. I think it's an absolute joke. I think part of the problem is, is he went down there and wrestled a couple matches in that luchador style and all of a sudden thinks he's ready to be on the big stage because he's a marquee name in MMA, but his punches looked absolutely hilarious. Yeah, why you would let him do that? I mean, mixed martial arts and pro wrestling do not mix usually. Because yeah. you're, if you're a mixed martial artist, you're trying to pull the punches and it looks horrible. Just become a pro wrestler or stay in MMA. Or neither, for my mind. Just stay out of the business. I saw something where Josh Barnett, I was talking about an MMA guy, I think it was Frank Mir wrestling, and he gave Frank the advice. He said, don't pull your punches, just hit them for real if you have to. We'll figure it out. Yeah, that's really great advice. Yeah. <laughs> don't do it. Uh, right. Yeah. Who gave him that advice? I think it was Josh Barnett. <laughs> oh, what an idiot. Yeah. yeah, I would rather not wrestle a guy who is serious as I might as well hit this guy for real. I was curious what you would think about that. <laughs> the mentality of what pro wrestling used to be and what they think it is today is a total opposite. You know, I mean, the wrestlers nowadays are beating the crap out of each other. 
and the fans still think it's fake. In our day, it looked like we were beating the crap out of each other, and we weren't, and the fans believed it. Figure it out. Yeah. I can't. Some of the best matches that I've ever seen in my life, to be honest with you, are you working with people like Bobby Eaton, working with Iron Anderson, people who really knew what they were doing and really applying the craft that we worked so hard at. And they never hurt you once. Exactly. And people have lost that art now. I think part of the problem, and maybe you'll agree with us, is that the attitude error took away a lot of the enhancement and took away a lot of the matches where people had a chance to get over and really work on their craft with somebody like yourself or a Barry Horowitz or a Mark Starr, somebody who actually truly could help them with their craft and get them over. Yeah, I mean, like everything, it changes. You can never bring it back either, but... And that's a good thing. Who wants to see that now, you know? Now, and when you can't get people to watch the shows now when you got top stars against top stars. They're not going to watch. Like, who wrestled uh, some fat guy that wrestled Aleister Black last night? Oh, I think they had an enhancement. It looked like a joke. There was an enhancement match last night, yeah. And it looked horrible. Well, to me, what they did was they didn't go out and get somebody who was professional, a carpenter, and traveled and got people over over time like yourself. What they did was they just went out and grabbed a local guy and said, hey, jump in the ring instead of actually getting somebody who has paved the road such as yourself. Well, what's funny is that's what they used to do back in the old days. I mean, I hate the term jobber and I hate the term enhancement talent. I'll tell you what term I like, and I know you're sitting down because it's really edgy. Okay. I like I like the term pro wrestler. Exactly. (laughs) I know it's a wacky term, but... And, And I'll be honest with you, Bob, it's a pain in the ass because... Having done this and having worked, I agree with you. I hate these terms, but because there's so many people that either take offense to different things or want to be called certain things, trying to it's almost like trying to be politically correct in the world these days. Yeah, and that's never going to happen. <laughs> exactly. I learned in the early 90s. I'm a little bit younger, but it was one of those things where I took pride in the fact that I learned how to wrestle professionally from Adrian and how to work a match. It was going out there two people and trying to put on the best show that we could for the fans that were out in the front row. That's the way it should be. But my point about the jobbers and Hanson Town, whatever you want to call them, especially jobbers, that term, back in the old days, as we'll say, back in the 80s, the real jobbers were the ones that were on WTBS and different shows like that. Yeah. who didn't even know how to hit the ropes, couldn't take a bump. They took their beatings. Those were the real jobbers because they weren't even properly trained. And there was a lot of guys like that. But then you had guys like George South. And to be honest with you, he looked as good almost as when I saw him 30 years ago. So God yeah, bless right. him for being able to do that. It's like Chick Donovan. You know Chick Donovan? Oh, yeah. He's like uh, in his 70s. And he's in great shape still. Yeah, I wish I was in half their shape, but I'm only in my 40s. Still got a full head of hair, too. It's amazing. Oh. You know, another guy I used to see back then, too, was uh, Rip Rogers. He was always in good shape. Oh, Rip, yeah, he was awesome, too. He was fun to be around, fun to travel with, fun to be in a match with as a partner. I got to work. him in Las Vegas for the first time in 25 years last, or earlier this year. Great guy. I got to work in Alabama, and I got to work in Tennessee, and in those places I got to meet Rip Rogers, and what an absolutely fun person just to be around. Talk about an energy. Yep. Now, you got to also team early on with Jerry Gray. I believe you guys won the Florida Championship Wrestling Tag Belts at one point. That's right, from Mike Graham and Steve Kerr. We're the last official, not official, because they took the belts from us in the Phantom victory. So we still claim ourselves, but we still claim to be the last NWA Florida Tag Team Champions because they never really beat us for the belts. 
Yeah, you guys were actually a very smooth team. That was one of the things that I remember most from that time period and seeing you battle with Steve Kern and Mike Graham. What great matches you guys had. Yeah, well, we got to work with them like every night of the week for, you know, however long, all over, all over Florida, and it was just a blast. And one of my funnest matches ever was Jerry and I were in Memphis just for a week when Mike Graham and Steve Kern restarted Florida wrestling briefly in 88 and 89 after Jim Crockett shut down the original, that bug-eyed, mongoloid-looking freak. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we went to Memphis the first, and they used the Memphis TV as the Florida TV briefly until Mike and Steve got their TV deal going. And we got to work with Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond at the Mid-South Coliseum for the AWA Tag Team titles. And that was like one of the funnest matches ever. Uh, I got to have video of that. Some of these nights are just like nights off sometimes when you're in the ring with the right people. Most of them, yeah, most oh. of them were really. I mean, I can't think of a lot of... I can think of a lot more people who were easy to work with than they weren't. Oh, absolutely. Plus, I think in a different time period, people cared a lot more about working together, not necessarily just getting over oneself. Oh, right. That was, I mean, that was the mentality of the Malenko ingrained in us from the beginning is, you know, you're working together, you know, you protect, of all, of all things, you take care of your opponent. You know, the idea is to make it look real without being real, look stiff without being stiff, but that whole world is turned upside down now. I was lucky enough that most of my injuries, believe it or not, came from mistakes that I made than somebody oh, else actually injuring me. Yep. Yeah. I used to do this thing where someone would either punch me or drop kick, whatever, and I would get up and act like I was falling backwards through the ropes, because I was falling backwards through the ropes, <laughs> but I would act like I'm trying to grab the rope so I wouldn't fall backwards, but then I would just fall the right backwards on my back. Uh. And it hurt every single time, and then, but it got a great reaction from the crowd because they thought I hit my head because I saw my head, and it made a good smack, especially the, run, the ones that didn't have the pads on the floor where they was actually concrete. I did that so many times back in the day, and, and even then I was thinking, well, I'm an idiot, you know? <laughs> Bob, you got any good uh, road stories maybe you can share, hopefully? <laughs> Uh, I mean, not a few, but I don't know about sharing them. <laughs> Bob, did you get to work with Harley at all in the ring? No, he was just a manager while I was there, and I mean, in WCW, and I just, you know, never really got to. Unfortunately, I think it would have been fun because he looked like he was very easy. I did one time get a headbutt by him, though. There was a steal. It was during the time they were building Sting against Vader in a strap match, and Vader was going around strapping everybody, and and he was going crazy one night in the ring, and all those guys had to go in and break it up. You know, get whipped with a strap. And I told Harley, I said, I don't want to get whipped. I don't want to get whipped with that strap. And Harley goes, I don't blame you. When you come in the ring, come to me, and I'll give you a headbutt and bail out. So <laughs> I went to Harley, and he headbutted me, and I got out of the ring. Didn't have to take the the Vader whipping. Bob, you seem like you're pretty up to date on the current product. Is there anybody that you see out there that somebody you think, okay, this guy would do really well in any time period? Uh, you know, I don't watch as much as I used to. I stopped watching it earlier this year after watching it literally forever. Yeah. And it's not so much that I don't like what I see. Again, because I can't comment now so much because I don't watch it. I'm, I'm not like most fans that go, WWE sucks. Right. I quit watching it back in 1999. And I'm like, wait a minute now. Let me let me see this. It sucks. You haven't watched it in over 20 years, but it sucks. Where's your, <laughs> where's your uh, reference? Where's your frame of reference on this? Right. You know? You either watch it and you're ashamed to admit it, or you're just an idiot, or both. Yeah. Most likely both. Of it's a wrestling fan. I was gonna say, sounds, <laughs> sounds like a combination. <laughs> yeah, but I hate that mentality. People, I don't even watch it anymore. It sucks. I'm like, yeah, okay, uh, I don't understand what you're even talking. About. How can you say it sucks if you don't watch it? But right, I don't watch it because I've just lost interest in the characters. I mean, this nobody's um, stands out anymore. You look at 
I mean, you take a, an old poster of wrestling, like say Royal Rumble 1990, and you got the poster. Everybody stands out. You got the Warrior, you got Hulk, you got the Big Boss Man, you got Tugboat, you got, you know, everybody stands out as somebody different. Whether they were good or not, doesn't matter. They stand out as a star. You could line up 50 guys on a poster now and you wouldn't, you know, you got 10 guys that got a bald head and a beard. You got five guys that got long hair and a beard. You got, you know, it's just, you can't tell anybody apart anymore. Even when it comes to the outfits, you've got everybody wearing kick pads, everybody wearing the same tights. It's become a little... They got all these people under contract, and you'll see, oh, they just signed some new guy, and you look at him, he goes, and you go, well, he looks like the other guy they signed two years ago that didn't get over. What's going to make this guy get over it? <laughs> and I don't know. What do you think? I'll start watching again eventually, but I watch the pay-per-views just because I have the network. I just don't dedicate myself to the weekly shows, although I'm looking forward to watching the NWA studio show that's actually on right now, but I'll watch the replay. Yeah, we're going to do the same, too. We've watched the last two episodes. We're hooked on that, actually. I actually had just written down a note to Dave to ask you about NWA Power because we're huge fans of it. We love the fact that it brings us back to that studio show and brings us back to that time period where we really loved wrestling. Yeah, and and I I like it, too, but they're doing the same thing that every show does. You know, they're trying to appeal to, to all the fans rather than just stick to their... Uh, tradition that they were trying to get across and that they're either going to fail or, or succeed. I don't know, but last week's show <clears throat> wasn't as good as the first week, I don't think. No, I agree because with you. They, they focus too much on the interviews and they're, and they're using guys like Colt Cabana and, and whoever the other guy that it was that was with him last week. Oh, Anderson. Anderson. And, they, and they're doing total comedy WWE type interviews that even if they're not scripted, they seem scripted. Then they had that Sandow come out and it's all just not, I don't know, it just doesn't have the same feel as the week before, at least, you know? Exactly, and the week before they came out, everything had a reason for what they were doing, people were intense. People want to give Tim Storm a hard time because he's over 50 years old, but to me, the way he came out with his emotion and this is what I'm fighting for, this is what the direction I'm going at, his promo was one of the best ones of the night. Yeah, and he's a, he's a good guy, too, so that has something to do with it. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just going to ask you, I was kind of curious, what do you think about oversaturation? Like, that's been a problem for me personally, just as a fan for many years. I just feel like there's so much on that it's very hard to, like, absorb it all and try to enjoy it. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, now for sure. I mean, it probably was back in the day, too, where you didn't think about it as much. But now more than ever, because not only because of the television that it's on, but it's all over the Internet Obviously, you can choose not to watch, and who who wants to watch it all the time? I think that's the wrestling the wrestling company's biggest problem, especially WWE, where they actually think that people want to just sit in front of their TV and watch wrestling all the time. And I actually watch other shows like porn and say, oh, "Did I say that?" No. But I, uh, there's, again, there's just not enough time in the day, and not enough stuff that I'm interested in to watch that much of it. I like watching the old stuff on the network and YouTube. You know, the stuff that I watched or grew up watching and. I love watching it on YouTube. The fact that in the same night I can watch wrestling from Portland, Georgia Championship Wrestling, Florida Championship Wrestling, the old Detroit Wrestling with the Sheik and stuff of that nature. The fact that I can watch all of that in one night, it's absolutely amazing the technology that we have now. Isn't it also amazing? Like sometimes you'll watch the old stuff and you go, 
God, I'm, I'm actually shocked that wrestling was able to survive as long as it was because some of it's so bad you're just like my god like I, someone posted a match on Facebook and I just glanced at like uh, Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks from oh, the god. UK from back in the day some yeah. of the most god awful oh. stuff you'll ever see but yet the crowd is in a roar and you're just like alright People are gullible nowadays, but my God. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting to see what holds up sometimes. Like, I'll go back and watch certain matches. I don't I'm just picking this era, but like, I will say the Bruno era, and it's not nothing against Bruno, just that style of matches where there was a lot more stomps and slams, and I'm maybe I find myself bored, but then if I watch like something from the Crockett era with, uh, you know, Flair and Funk, and it's like, it still holds up, and that's 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. Well, even, even watching the different match that like an Ivan Koloff had to have working with Bruno compared to uh, some of the matches that he had when he was in the NWA, you can see the difference in the styles between that New York area and NWA wrestling from the South. Oh, definitely. But Bruno, Bruno would not get over in an era like today if he came along because as much as he was a legend and yes, he drew all kinds of money, he wasn't that good. No, not you know, at all. Classic case of not knowing a, hit, a headlock from a wrist lock or whatever. I mean, he didn't do very much. Kick, punch, did a headlock, bear hug. His greatest matches were with, like, Superstar Billy Graham and yeah. uh, uh, Superstar Billy Graham, I think. <laughs> well, I think the WWE, WWF in that time period relied based on their market. They used the Italian and Bruno. They had the Puerto Rican wrestler. Pedro Morales. Pedro Morales. Yeah. And they would get the crowds to come in for those specific wrestlers and relied a lot on those fans just going rabid for them, not necessarily skills. Oh, definitely. But I think we can all agree on one thing. Just because it's old wrestling doesn't mean it's classic wrestling. No, it doesn't mean it's good. Exactly. <laughs> Some of it was fantastic. But again, every era had that. You know, you go back in the 1950s and 60s and watch some of that, you had, you know, greats like George's George and Buddy Rogers, and at the same time you had you know, big set, fat slobs like Happy Humphrey and Hayside Calhoun who couldn't, they couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag, mainly because they had food in it, and they didn't <laughs> want to leave. But nonetheless, it was just horrible stuff if you watch it. You just, how do people get into it? You just question your own mentality for watching it now. Or even in the um, late, late 70s, early 80s, having to watch some of the territories where it was more important for some of these promoters to get their children over. Not that I'm going to take yeah. too many shots at Nick Goulas, but... <laughs> But it was just one of those things where they had to get their kids over, and the kids weren't necessarily good. Yeah, that's ha that's always been the case in wrestling. Oh yeah, look at even the Von Erichs. I mean, you had the first three Von Erichs were all very talented wrestlers, but then all of a sudden when they started dying off, let's throw Chris in there, let's throw Mike in there, and it just wasn't necessarily the quality of wrestling that they had given us at first. Yeah, I just I just like to say that every era had great and bad, you know, and, and that's the way it is. Every year had good stuff, bad stuff, great stuff, sad stuff. Well, Bob, we kept you for a half an hour now. We appreciate your time. Also, thank you very much for all the great wrestling that you actually gave us when we were watching wrestling back in one of the best area, eras of wrestling, the 80s and 90s. Quite frankly, what you did in the ring to give us great matches was incredible. So thank you very much for that. Well, I appreciate it. It means a lot to hear. And, of course, that is a testament to the great Malenko, who was the best trainer ever, regardless of what anybody else might think. Absolutely. I think if you look back at people who have come through there and the people that he trained, 
it's very easy to see that path and that acknowledgement. Is there anything that we can get for you for plugs, social media, anything you got coming up where people can check you out? Nope, I'm pretty much doing nothing. <laughs> Good for you. Well, well Bob. I'll be working out in the cooker's gym uh, a little later, but you know, no one wants to see that, trust me. Well, Bob, please, anytime you want to talk wrestling, we're going to have this podcast here. We would love to have you back sometime and talk more wrestling. And thank you very much for your time, sir. I appreciate it. Have a good night. You yeah, too. Yeah, as well, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone, back for our signature segment, the 531, where we all take our top five list on a particular subject, argue it down to our top three. From that top three, we decide a top one. This week, it's the top five pile drivers. This is an interesting one. I My top five, I had to go with Jerry Lawler, number one. Went with Pentagon Jr. at number two. Ooh. I got Kevin Owens just below Pentagon Jr. Nice. Got the pile driver album, number four. <laughs> and then, I don't think there's a more killer pile driver than Owen Hart. Who do you guys Ooh. have on your lists? Well, okay, so we had some of the same humor, I guess. Mr. Wonderful Paul Hordorff is my number one. He was the first guy I ever saw really use it in a devastating fashion. The Undertaker, I mean, in terms of just using it for so many years, definitely one of my favorites. But that's the Tombstone Pile Driver, which I actually saw before Undertaker used that pile driver. was Don Morocco was the first guy. So Don Morocco's my three. Jerry Lawler, because of the time he's been around, and that famous pile driver he did on Andy Kaufman, too, was always one of my favorites, was my four. And like Joe, sliding in my number five, the most deadly pile driver there is, Owen Hart. Where's some cold-blooded <laughs> motherfuckers up in here? All right, well, I've got Paul Orndorff, <laughs> yeah. because to me it was the most legit. He's the, one of the few people I've ever seen who jumps off the mat yes. with the person and had the leg strength to do that and then drive the person down yes. into the mat. Not so, the arm strength, though. Ex- not now. Yeah. No, 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 no. One of his arms is a little bit weaker. Yeah. That whole atrophy thing. Yeah, yeah. It's um, just gross. Like yourself, the first person I saw do the tombstone, and that's who I went with, is I did not go with The Undertaker. I went with Don Morocco. Because mm. he was the first person I ever saw. it, And he used to make me nervous, because a lot of times, he would hold the person with one arm. Right, right. He right. actually didn't hold them with both arms. He actually had one arm wrapped around yeah. him. So I was always like, oh my God, he's going to drop this guy and break his neck. Super strong, too. Oh God, incredibly strong. Yeah. And no beach bum, that's for sure. <laughs> Jerry Lawler's got to make the list because, well, he's used it most famously to me. He's that person you think of when you think of the pile driver. I love Petey Williams. Petey oh. Williams, Canadian Destroyer. Absolutely phenomenal. I know lots of people use it now and lots of people do it. But that first time I saw the Canadian Destroyer, I literally jumped out of my seat and was like, holy shit. Because that was just incredible. To turn a sunset flip into a freaking pile driver, that's insane. I, I can't believe nobody thought of that first. Nope, no, no. Uh, and then speaking of a version of the Tombstone pile driver, I love the Young Bucks Fuck Dave Meltzer. <laughs> I don't know if it's Fuck Dave Meltzer. So. Oh, the, what is that, the Meltzer driver? The yeah, the Mel- flip into the... Oh, I'm sorry, the Meltzer driver. Yeah. That was just my feelings towards Dave Meltzer. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, my bad. We love you, Dave. But don't the, worry about that. <laughs> but the Meltzer driver to me... Is, it's another innovation. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it brings me back a little bit towards the um, Brain Busters and that their finishing move was actually an illegal move mm-hmm. where they would find a way for Bobby Heenan to distract the referee and then slide in and do the double team on the pile driver. But I love this version of it. So just a quick thing, too. So for those fans who don't know, 
Joe and I are kind of joking something about Owen Hart's pile driver and the fact that it legit injured Steve Austin and caused the temporary <laughs> they're, they're, paralysis. They're not joking. <laughs> it was dangerous. But it was also an awesome looking pile driver. Yeah, if you it, was, see it. it was. I uh, I can tell you I've never legitimately watched someone's head drop off that <laughs> mat like that. All right, so Lawler was the only one that made every list. Yep. Other than that, I mean, Owen Wonderful. Hart made two lists. Owen <laughs> North made two lists. I don't think since mm-hmm. Owen didn't use it as a finisher, I think we'll eliminate Owen. <laughs> I think we should eliminate it since he's the yeah. only one who genuinely hurt someone with him. <laughs> I mean, does the Undertaker move on just based on that move becoming such a part of what he was? Now, wait a minute, Don Morocco made two lists. Oh yeah. Morocco was on two lists yeah. as well. Yeah, Orndorf, Morocco, and Lawler. Lawler made three. So I guess that is your top three. All right, yeah. so between Orndorf and Morocco, since they made two lists, let's pick one to go on. Who goes on between Orndorf and Morocco? Both, I'd say, roughly wonderful. same time period. I'm going with Wonderful. Yeah, because they actually had storylines about Orndorff actually hurting people's necks and the pile He turned on Hogan and hit the pile driver. Isn't that what we just disqualified Owen Hart for, though? Yeah, but they did. But these are it was just storylines. These are storyline injuries. These aren't people actually. And when he turned on Hogan and delivered that pile driver to Hogan, that was a huge deal. It was a huge deal. Whereas if I went out there and I asked thirty fans right now. Hey, how'd you like the Don Morocco pile driver? They might not remember. They might not remember Don Morocco or the pile driver. Yeah. All right, so Orndorff m- moves on, mm-hmm. and we're left with the last one. This is gonna be a tough one. So we got, we got left there. I mean, for because me personally, when you brought up Petey Williams, I didn't consider the Canadian destroyer that would add a whole bunch of people to the list. But you would start with the innovator. And speaking of innovators, Young Bucks. So between Petey Williams and Young Bucks, who moves on? Uh, well, so we're not, okay. Unless uh, you got somebody you think's more deserving than one I mean, of would, them. I would put Taker on there just for getting it over. Has anybody got that move over more than Undertaker? Is there a more famous power driver than the two kind of what I was driver? saying earlier. Yeah. And it's not, and yeah, Don Morocco did it first, but he doesn't have the fame. Okay, I'm a little confused because I thought we were down to Orndorff, Morocco, and Lawler. Oh, no, we were down to Lawler, <laughs> and then you guys brought up Orndorff and Morocco, so I decided gotcha. since they're kind of, they both made two lists, they're both around the same time period, period. Oh, before why not gotcha. face them off? All right, gotcha. And um, that way... I have no problem with The Undertaker. If you want to put The Undertaker in there. Okay. So, so Peter Williams wrong. and Young Bucks innovate shit. Undertaker did it first. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a whole guy holding him down still. <laughs> but 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 I'm gonna be pretty quick to eliminate um, the Undertaker here from the from Lawler and Orndorff. Exactly, and the reason why is because it was not his only move, and it's not always his finisher. He's used a choke slam through the years as the finisher. He's used Hell's Gate. Mm-hmm. He's used the Last Ride, the Tombstone. While it is epic and is something that he has used. To me, it's not the only thing I think of when I think of The Undertaker. With the other two wrestlers, what I think of with both of them is the pile driver. Yeah. I gotta go, uh, Mr. Wonderful's my number one. So you gotta wonder if you're... I do, because that jumping pile driver, to me, is what made a difference. Lawler kind of just fell falls down on his ass. Yeah, yeah. It's safe. Yeah. yeah, and he got who, it over. Who's still doing the pile driver to this day? One of the NEW shows, mm-hmm. not too a few years ago now, but it was Lawler versus Kevin Owens in a pile driver match. But I'm gonna let you in on a secret as to what got Lawler's pile driver over. What got Lawler's pile driver over is actually the intelligent booking. <laughs> 
down in Memphis, what they did was they went and they outlawed the pile driver. And when you outlawed the pile driver, he had to find ways to sneak it in during the match where the ref wouldn't see it, where it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that actually got him over as a heel in Memphis. So did Jerry Lawler get the pile driver more over than the other man? Well, well, he he was the booker. So I guess technically from a booking standpoint... And I mean, just that angle with uh, Andy Kaufman featuring around that pile driver. That was the one thing that made me thought about changing my mind was the Kaufman angle. I still love the way Hordorff delivers it, though. Now, here's the other problem that we're going to run into is some people will consider Lawler the more famous of the pile drivers. And the reason why is because he's still been on WWE TV sure. for the last 30 years. So people are going to think that. changed. Whereas Paul Orndorff now has not been seen by anybody in 20 years. Right, right. So it kind of affects things a little bit. Mm-hmm. That being said, while I appreciate Orndorff's power driver better, and I think it's technically better. Sure. And a much better power driver. If we're just rating it, who's got the better power driver? Yeah. Orndorff by far. But if you're talking about the most famous person for pile driving between the Andy Kaufman being on the WWE as long as he has sure. and the fact that he's wrestling in his 70s, <clears throat> it's got to be Jerry Lawler to me. Makes sense. So Lawler's taking it? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's the number one. So you got. I don't have a huge problem with it. I'm, I'm a Orndorff guy. I am but too. We have to settle this today. That's not a huge. All right, fans, you know what to do. Let us know what you think on Twitter at FansWorking. The Facebook page is the Working Fans Wrestling Pod. The email, WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Instagram, WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. You can listen to us on Anchor FM, the platform that we create this podcast on, right here. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public. We are also on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. The important thing about those last two is we need you to subscribe, rate, and review. Tell friends about it. Get them to subscribe. Pick up their phones. Subscribe if they don't want to. Just get it on there. Just get the word out. And as always, we will see you next week. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 